at tonight is 1 John uh, chapter 2, verse 12 through 14. We're, I feel like I've been away from this for a while now. I've been, I've been lonely, man, not in this study of 1 John. It's been hurting me a little bit. So the title of this message that I have tonight is called Spiritual Maturity. And uh, uh, we'll get there on the slides here in a minute, but it, it, the rest of that doesn't really matter. Uh, here it is, verse, verse 12, uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 12 through 14. Verse 12, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I have written to you, children, because you know the Father. I've written to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this opportunity uh, to come here to preach your word. We thank you for this building. We thank you for this congregation. We thank you for the family. We thank you for your love. We thank you, God, that you would work through a bunch of sinners like us. Of me, I'm, I'm the chief here in this place. I'm the worst sinner in this mix. And Lord, I just pray that you would speak through me tonight, uh, but that it wouldn't be my words. It would be your holy word, God that you would be uh, glorified, that you would draw many people to you tonight, whether to be saved or to be strengthened. I pray for spiritual maturity, that we would grow up and grow into what you have for us, Jesus. And it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so I kind of want to start off with this illustration that I have for you tonight. And uh, as you guys know, my wife, she's 22 weeks pregnant, right? 21 weeks, and we're going to have a boy, okay? And so pretty soon, I'll get to that. And one thing I can't wait to do, and as, as gross as this sounds, I, I've changed one, two diapers in my life. Uh, that was it. That's all I've ever done, two diapers. I refused to do it, actually. That was my plan. I would refuse to change them until I had a kid of my own, until Oakley came along, my little nephew, and I changed his little diapers. And that was the story all on its own. I'll get to one other time, okay? Uh, and so... I can't wait to be able to change my little boy's diaper. I can't wait to be able to hold him in my arms. And, and I know that that feeling might wear out. I don't care. Don't spoil the moment for me, okay? This ain't for you. It's for me. I can't wait to hold him in my arms, to hold him with his little life and to bottle feed him, to love on him. To... I just can't wait. And one thing I can't wait to do is at six months or however it is when you get to start feeding them some food and stuff like, you know, yeah, I I can't wait to get him some Carolina Reapers or something. I can't wait to start feeding him solid food. I can't wait to stand in the front yard with my son as we play catch. You know, I can't wait to teach him how to fish. I look forward to the day uh, that he's that he's driving a car for the first time and he's driving it just like me. You know, I look forward to the day that he loves another woman. That I, that I get to marry him off, that he goes to seminary, that he stands behind a pulpit much like this for the very first time, and he proclaims, thus says the Lord, you know, if that's God's, God's will in his life. I can't wait to see him go through that. And I can't wait till one day Naomi and I are old and we're in our house and, and our sons and our daughters come and they bring their kids to our house and we get to eat dinner and they take care of us. I can't wait for those days, okay? You know what I mean? And, and that's what we're looking at in, in maturity in the physical life is we're starting out in diapers and we're raising them up to be men and women on fire for the Lord. Um, men and women that can take care of their families. Men and women um, that proclaim, thus saith the Lord. And so as we come here to verse chapter 12, or as we come here to verse 12 in chapter 2, we sort of just pause and we stop for a moment. It's, it's different than what we've been going through in the book of 1 John. 
Uh, it, it, so compared to the load that, he's, that John's been dishing out to us so far over the last few weeks, this passage is really a palate cleanser. And what I mean is the palate being your tongue. It, it's like a, a fresh drink of cool water on a summer day. And John points to another reason here in verse, uh, verse 12 through 14 uh, as to why he's writing this letter. And while he's almost really kind of taking a break from, uh, from battling these false teachers, from covering these tests of assurance, he gives us this beautiful reminder of the gospel and, and our need for spiritual maturity. He stops and he takes a moment. He knows exactly what his flock needs. He's been beating them up so much. It comes time that he's got he's to encourage them a little bit, okay? So my first point in this is, is the gospel. Verse 12, look at it with me. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. And I want to take this time for a second. I want to instruct you guys in this, that there's only two families that exist uh, to God. And, And let's stop and let's look at Matthew chapter 13, 37 through 39. There's only two families that exist to God. And he said, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. And the field is the world. And as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. And the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. And the harvest is the end, is the end of the age. And the reapers are angels. This is uh, the end note of the parables of the tares and the wheat. That there was tares among the wheat. There's sons of the devil and there's sons of God. There's only two families that exist to God. Are you a son of the kingdom or are you a son of the devil? And if you're apart from Jesus Christ, you're a son of the devil, and only eternal hellfire awaits you, okay? But if you're a son of God, if you're a son of the kingdom, at the end of the age, God will call you home. You will will get to live in heaven for the rest of your life and reign on earth for the rest of your life with Christ in your glorified body, forever praising Him. Amen? That's a beautiful thing, right? Now look here in verse 12 when he says this, I write to you little children. You'll see him say little children again in verse 13, but I want you guys to know this. There are two different forms of little children. This little children here in verse 12, uh, the Greek is technion. This is a title of endearment, and it encompasses all ages of offspring. It's not limited to just little tiny children like about age 8 and down. It encompasses everybody from, from, from the age of salvation, whatever age that happened at, to the age of 80, 90 years old, however old you are. And it's the same word that's used in chapter 2, verse 1, when he's talking about my little children. These things I write to you so that you may not sin. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. It's ultimately a reminder of what he's already, writ- what he's already written. That our sins are forgiven in our advocate, Jesus Christ. He's our lawyer and he doesn't lose a case. Remember that? And they're forgiven by faith in him. So John's writing to remind us that we are in the family of God. That our sins are forgiven in Christ. And it's a beautiful reality that we should never get over. Amen. We got to preach the gospel to ourselves daily, guys. Amen. And sometimes it's a reminder that we need in life as Christians in such a corrupt world. See, we battle the world, we battle the flesh, we battle the devil every single day. And at times it feels like we're up to our necks and we're drowning, right? seems like we can't make it anymore. Help us, Lord. And that's when we remember verse 12. Little children, your sins are forgiven. So I want you to dial in now at the last four words of verse 12. Read them with me. For his name's sake. Your sins have been forgiven for whose sake? For His name's sake. Amen. Not for our sakes, right? But for Him. 
You about to go into labor on that? No. Okay. I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm Pull worried for you, around. man. Pull the truck around. Oh, man. Sorry. <laughs> for, uh, for why are we saved, guys? For why are we saved? No other reason than for God's glory to be, to be displayed in His mercy, in His justice, and in His love. How are we saved? Let's look at the five solaces. Okay, these are very important as, as, as uh, Protestants as we are. We're, we're not Catholics, so we're Protestants. And this is what we believe uh, uh, about salvation. The five solaces is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, revealed in the Scriptures alone, for the glory of God alone. Salvation happens no other way than in these things right here. You don't get it through good works. You don't get it through infant baptism. You don't get it through visiting the dead. None of those things attribute nothing to your salvation. This alone is salvation. I want you to know this, that God put forth a plan before the foundations of the world to save sinners. In the garden, uh, when Adam and Eve sinned and they, and, they, and they chose to reject God and live selfishly as their own gods, They fell. They brought a curse to the world. And all of humanity was cursed thereafter. For the Bible says, just as one man sinned, therefore all have sinned. He brought sin into the world. And so God had this perfect plan to send Jesus Christ, His Son, who has always been. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14 of of John chapter 1 says, And the Word became flesh. He's talking about Jesus. God became flesh. He sent Jesus Christ in the flesh, born of a virgin, to live a perfect sinless life. For us. But not only that, he sent him to suffer. He sent his own son to suffer, to have a crown of thorns placed on his head, to be beaten. Like, uh, like Daryl talked about in Sunday school this morning, he read an old song that talked about a whip that had bones in it, that every time it struck him, it ripped his, his flesh open as if it was a curtain or something like that, a piece of fabric, a sheet. Laid him open. He was punched. He was ridiculed. He was rejected. He suffered. He laid on the cross and they put nails through his hands and through his feet. He stood there, or he he hung there. And what did he say? It is finished. What else did he say? Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. But guess what? He didn't stay dead. After three days, Jesus Christ rose from the grave again. And guess where he's at right now? He's ascended and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And you know what? He's coming back one day. Do you guys believe that? Yes. And it's by faith in that gospel message that we are saved by this grace of God in no other way. It's a beautiful reminder that we need today. Amen? Sometimes we get, get down in the dumps and we kick ourselves, man. We need reminded of this. We need reminded of the gospel. Sometimes we don't feel saved. Throw your feelings aside. What's the truth say? If God had put forth a plan that did not accomplish what He declared, then He would be a defeated God that was not worth serving. But God put forth a sovereign plan that accomplishes everything He so desired. That His name would be glorified in the highest. Amen. That all would know that He alone is God, the Creator, and the Savior of the world. So maybe we've been reading this letter and and we kind of keep thinking, I don't always walk perfectly like Christ. I don't always say the right things. I don't always show love for my brother or my sister. Right. You might be thinking, how can I be saved with all of this sin in my life? You know what my response is? Join the club, okay? Join the club because I'm a sinner too. I need grace too. I have sin in my life as well. That's all of us. 
All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I sin. Rick sins. You sin. This doesn't mean that we're not saved, though. Because we have to kind of point back to the other verses that we read as well. You might say, what is the difference between me and a lost person who's sinning then? And I would say this, the difference is the lifestyle. It all goes back to the previous verses that we covered. Uh, We do not habitually practice sin. And when we do sin, we're convicted. We're cut to the heart. We can't go on like that. We're grieved about our sin. We repent and we confess it to God and we are forgiven. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Confess your sins and He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And this is a reminder that we need to hear no matter the stage of life that we're in. Whether we're spiritually mature, we're almost arrived, we're about to hit heaven's gates, or whether we're a brand new babe in Christ just learning how to drink milk and crawl on our hands and knees. I get fired up when I hear the gospel today. Every time that I hear the gospel preached, Amen. I get fired up more than anything else. You could preach about anything else in, in, in the scriptures, and nothing's going to get me fired up like when I hear the gospel handled correctly and the truth taught, or the, the truth taught clearly about Jesus. So uh, we're going to talk about three stages of spiritual maturity, and you see it here. The first stage is little children, and as I read through the verse and go through and see it yourself, you'll see those three stages. He talks about little children, which are the babes in Christ. The second stage, which is young men, they're solid, they're strong, and they're devoted. And then the third stage, the final stage, the fathers. They're the most mature, the most wise people. And if it helps you kind of get it in your mind and break it into categories, as you might think about a little child, an adolescent, or somebody that's 18 to 30, and then an old wise man with gray hair or something. But don't let that deceive you, okay? Because not all of us are at the same stage in our spiritual maturity. You know what I mean? Just because somebody, and not all, never mind, I'm not going to go there. Just because, you've been saved, Matt. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Just because someone has a full head of gray hair does not mean that they are spiritually mature. Amen. And on the other hand, just because a man or a woman may be young and full of energy does not mean that they're spiritually immature. For what did Paul tell Timothy? Let nobody despise you for your youth. You cannot judge a book by its cover here. And as we walk through these stages of spiritual maturity, I want us all to know that these are not just for men. Because look, he, he, says, uh, young, he says little children, he, has, he says young men, and he says father. So this is John's culture. This is John's writing style. Um, this is how it was written. It's not exclusively just for men, but it's for everyone. So let's look now at the first of these uh, uh, spiritual mature, or maturity levels. And let's look at the fathers. Fathers, which are the most mature. So looking at verse 13. I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning. So both in verse 13 and in 14, John goes through this spiritual maturity spiral as, uh, as he uses the same evidence of spiritual maturity for the father, the most mature category. And what is the same evidence that he uses? Because you have known him who is from the beginning. He says it twice. He repeats himself. So who is he who is from the beginning? So let's look back at 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 real quick. What was from the beginning? What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at, and what we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the light was manifested, and we have seen and testified and proclaimed to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. 
These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. And again, John chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being uh, that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw His glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. That is who is from the beginning. Jesus Christ, the Father, the Spirit, the eternal Godhead, the three in one, from the beginning. They have a, an accurate conception of who that is. The most spiritually mature have a great knowledge and a deep understanding of the eternal God. And this isn't just head knowledge, guys. Just because you know some big theological words does not mean that you're fully mature. Right? There's churches full of a bunch of people who can know some crazy words like a theophany or a transubstantiation or hermeneutics or something crazy like that. And that does not mean that they're spiritually mature. The true knowledge is a knowledge of personal experience, guys. It's a real head and a real heart knowledge of God in His fullness that motivates and directs us or directs the spiritual mature person. So he or she is immovable, unmovable on the truth, unwavering in holiness, steadfast in their personal pursuit of God, and well-versed in the Scriptures. I want to give you two examples. You've never heard of them, I guarantee it, except for maybe just a few people in the room. Uh, a guy named Eddie Bumpers. You know him. Uh, he was, uh, well, John does, not you guys, but John does. And, and, and Eddie Bumpers is our pastor in Springfield, Missouri. Eddie Bumpers, the first time that I met this man, uh, had a face-to-face conversation with him. I went into his office because I got out of prison. I was in freeway ministries, and I knew God had a calling on my life. He'd been working on me in prison, and I needed help cultivating this. Where do I go from here? What do I do? I need to go to school. I need help. What do I do, Pastor? And he said, before he said anything else, he was sitting behind his desk, and he got down on his knees. And he, I was sitting in a chair over here, and he crawled to me on his knees. He said, let's pray. That was his attitude towards me. He needed to go to the Father first because he knew him who was from the beginning could handle this and give me direction in my life. Amen. He couldn't do it, but God could, right? And then Paul Schaefer, a man that you all know well more than I do. When I met this man, I went to him and I said, Paul, I know what God has for me to do in life. He wants me to be a missionary. Can you help me? He discipled me over the course of about a year in a sense as he directed me on a path on how to go and how to stay on it. He was the one who gave me the good idea to marry my wife. He said, there's going to be one thing in your life that's going to distract you, Tanner, on your, role to be, or on your call to being a missionary. I said, what's that? He said, it's going to be a girl. I said, I've already found one. He said, who is it? I said, Naomi Legner. He said, that's a good thing. You go get her. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, amen. But Pastor, Pastor Paul gave me some spiritual advice, some beautiful advice when it came to me and my wife as we, before we were married. He said, do you guys pray in secret? Do you guys read the word together at your house or anything when you're alone? You know, and I said, yeah. He said, stop doing it. I said, why? That's, that's glorifying God, right? He said, you'll never be more intimate with somebody than you are when you're praying with them. Stop doing that. You pray with her in church. You pray with her in a public parking lot. You pray with her anywhere but alone. Don't be alone with her. He gave me spiritual advice. He tried to keep me pure. He was a wise man. He heard it from the word of the Lord. And so this is the level of maturity that Paul prays for in Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, I think it's verse 18 through 23. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of His power towards us who believe. 
These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above rule and authority and power and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him a head, or gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That's the level of maturity that these men have reached. They know this eternal Godhead well. They, that's that level of maturity that Paul is praying for. This maturity level, uh, it holds, this is the maturity level that holds wisdom through life's trials and experiences imparting wisdom through discipleship to those below them in maturity. So the next uh, second stage of maturity that I have for you tonight is young men. Man, I'm going to be long tonight. We're going to keep preaching now, okay? Because I can't stop. Uh, Young men, second stage of of, of maturity. Chapter 2, verse 13. I'm writing to you, young men. That's not where I'm at. Oh, yeah. Okay, what does John use to describe the stage of maturity? Look at verse 13. Because you have overcome the wicked one. And then verse 14. Because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. He repeats himself again poetically. So I want you to get the picture of of a young man. And for human sake, uh, let's kind of just put an age group on that, about 18 to 30, like I said earlier. You know, this young man in his age group is in the prime of his life, right? He's strong. He's energetic. He sleeps less. He's diligent. He's hardworking. He's a fighter. He's hungry. Extend it to 35 if you're mad, okay? (laughs) He's hungry, right? Like you can never feed a young man enough food. Before I started going on keto, I'd go to Rick's house and eat all his food in his house. He stopped being hospitable to me. He he loves my dog, though. (laughs) I'm kidding. Anyways, uh, so yeah, I got to bring my own food now. So we, uh, anyways, so apply this same concept to the spiritual maturity level that we've been talking about, okay, to this, to this second stage. So this second stage of maturity is a stage where, although not fully developed, the man or the woman is hungry and their food is the Word of God. You sit them down in front of the Bible or in a Bible study or something like that, and they just devour it. They eat it up, right? They're serving everywhere. They're at every service they can get to. They're hungry for the Word and they cannot get enough. The Holy Word of God is in them, and they know sound doctrine. They can refute the evil one. They're seeking further education through seminary or deeper discipleship, through trainings. They want to know how they can grow more in the Lord. They're pulling up along people who are more mature than them. Maybe they're coming up to Rick or to Pete or, or to Daryl or, or Jeff or he or John or something. They're coming up to them, and they're saying, Will you help me know more? Will you help me grow in Christ? I need to not be a babe anymore. I need to be a, a, a young man furious for the Lord. Not the, that may not be the right word. On fire for the Lord, we'll say that. So they're seeking further. So they are strong and they're devout to resist sin. That's the other part as we look at that. Uh, because you have overcome the evil one. Because you have overcome the evil one. They're strong, they're devout to, to resist sin. They're disciplined. They stand up against the evil one. Do you remember those of you that have, that have uh, crossed the boundary from a babe in Christ to a young man or woman in Christ when it came, point, it came to the point when there was sin that was in your life and you said, no more. Get behind me, Satan. No more. You put up boundaries. You built a wall like Nehemiah did, like Pastor uh, Rick has been talking about. You would not let anything else inside the camp. Strong. Diligent. Able to resist sin in the wiles of the devil. They have the whole armor of God 
on them at all times. They go to sleep with it on. They're like a firefighter sleeping in their suit. And the only thing that's lacking in this life of this spiritual, of this spiritual maturity level of the young man is experience. That's it. Uh, I got to tell you a story. Uh, a guy who discipled me while I was in prison, he was faithful. His name is Matt Milligan. He discipled me. He would write me every two weeks. He was so faithful to me, man. He told me the other day when I called him a couple weeks ago, I said, Matt, I just don't know. I think maybe I missed my calling by three, four, five, six hundred miles or something. Why am I here? He said, you know what? You're there right now because everybody else looks at you like you're a young punk. He said, and nobody will trust you until you go and you get some experience. You're learning some things right now in school. You're learning some things behind the pulpit. You're learning some things and planning this church. So your time is not wasted. Use it for the glory of God. And know this, that when your time is done there, when God's appointed time is done for me here, I will leave here stronger, more mature than I've ever been. People would not look at me like I'm a young punk anymore, maybe. Would I arrive as a father? No, probably not. But they would trust me. They might trust me behind the pulpit of their church that's already founded. They might trust me to plan another church. They might trust me somewhere else. I've grown up in maturity each year, each step, each day that's passed. So uh, let's look at verse uh, looking at verse four, 14. The word of God abides in you. Psalm 119, 9 through 11. How, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. That's the life of the young man, of the young woman uh, uh, in, in their spiritual maturity level. Hiding the word of God in their heart that they may not sin against God. The abiding of the word of God in the life of the believer keeps us from sin and it allows us to grow in spiritual maturity. Looking at this, uh, the next level of maturity, we're looking at little children, which is the first level of maturity. Verse 13, I've written to you, little children, because you have known the Father. So John uses the proof of knowing the Father as evidence of this stage of maturity. See, John doesn't waste his time here for very long because remember, uh, the word for children here in verse 13 is different than the word uh, usage in verse 12. It's two different things. Now, this is a a little child, a a spiritually immature babe. So John addresses each level of spiritual uh, maturity twice in this section as we went through with the fathers and the young man. But here he only addresses it one time. And so why does he just address little children one time? Well, he does that because there isn't much, much to say to a new convert, right? They can't grasp, um, they can't grasp very much for, uh, of what you have to say for them except maybe their new faith. So this is a brand new convert, the baby Christian who's, who's still drinking milk. You have to get down at their level and you have to feed them down here, right? They still haven't weaned off of the milk. They haven't been weaned from nursing. So we got to cradle these newborn believers in a sense. We have to feed them at their level. We have to reach them where they are. We have to give them milk that they can digest. Because as you know, the food, babies can't digest that solid food, right? It hurts them. It makes them sick. They just don't have it in them. I don't know the science behind that, but you have to give them what they can eat. So we do not throw them into a class on hermeneutics and we tell them to sink or swim. You know what I mean? And we don't nurture and raise that babe up just uh, the same, or we, we nurture and raise that babe up just in the same way that we raise a baby up. 
from diapers, right? And we feed it milk. And then it starts to be able to, to hold some solid food, some Gerber baby food, some munched up food, and those little soft things that are like strawberries that you give them. And then, you know, and then pretty soon you're giving them fried chicken, and they're walking around, and they're breaking your windows and stuff. You know, you got to raise them up like babies. Feed them at their level. Give them what they need. And so granted, I want you to know this, that the rate of the spiritual life is light speeds ahead of the rate of the physical maturity level, okay? Or at least it should be. So I'm probably jumping ahead of myself here a little bit, but, but you should, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to say that yet. So this poses a question though. How do we know the Father, right? Because that's what that says. I've written to you little children because you have known the Father. So I want you to know this. Are you struggling to know which um, family you belong in? Are you a child of the devil or are you a child of God? Like we talked about earlier, are you struggling with that? Well, good proof of that is found in your answer to this question. How do we come to know the Father? How do we come to know the Father? Through the Son. That's the only way to know the Father. John 14, 6. I already gave you a hint. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me. How are you saved? By grace we are saved through faith, and that not of ourselves is a gift from God. Faith in who? Jesus Christ. So if you're here tonight and you're struggling with the answer to that question, I invite you to step into the family of God and allow Him to raise you up into the life that you've never had before. So how do we develop spiritual maturity? I'd be doing you a total disservice if I just hammered these three things out to you and I didn't give you some kind of application. How can we develop spiritual maturity? Well, through spiritual disciplines, guys. And that's, and that's something that I'm not good at all the time either, guys. I'm not, I'll be frank with you. I left the house twice this week. I, I felt like I preached a good sermon. I left the house twice this week, and I didn't read, and I didn't pray. I come to Rick, and I told him about it. He said, what do you think you're doing? You think you got this or something? What do you think you're doing? So we grow in maturity. We develop in maturity through spiritual disciplines, like reading, right? Uh, my wife wrote this down. Are you ready? Read your Bible, pray every day, and you will grow, grow, grow. Neglect your Bible, forget to pray, and you will shrink, shrink, shrink. It's a kid's song, but it's perfect. We teach them to our youth. Uh, we teach them to our kids, and they come out and they sing for us and all those things. But it's so true. Read your Bible every day, and you will grow, grow, grow. Neglect it, and you will shrink, shrink, shrink. And be ashamed of the state that you're in when Jesus comes back. So we also do this through praying, through fasting, through fellowship, through discipleship, through serving. Those are spiritual disciplines. You know, many Christians stay children because they neglect fellowship and discipleship. They show up uh, on Sunday for, for their uh, allotted time of one hour. They're the first to get in their car, and they're the first to leave. I was the first to get in the car and leave today. Okay, so <laughs> sorry about that. But they're the first to get in their car and leave. They're running out during prayer. They don't want to be here any longer than they have to. They check the box, and they're gone. They're not getting plugged into... Uh, um, um, Bible study. They're not getting plugged in to uh, Bible fellowship after the church service. They're not getting plugged into marriage class. They're just leaving as fast as they can, hoping nobody sees them. They're sitting way back there in the back next to Mike. Not you, he. I know you're the last one, man. But let's read Hebrews chapter 10, 23 through 25. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. The Bible tells us to gather, to stimulate one another. One translation, I think, says to spur one another onto love and good deeds. 
don't know what that was. But it tells us to challenge, to rebuke, to discipline, to hold each other accountable. This is how we grow through training. How does a boxer get better in the ring? They train, right? They discipline themselves. They gather around other boxers and they fight and they spar and they get better. They get stronger. So, and here's the thing. You don't want your five-year-old wearing diapers, right? So why be a Christian for two or three, five, ten, or even 20 years and still drink milk and wear diapers? It's a sad sight to see. We must grow strong and develop into maturity as Christians. So God's response to those of you who choose to stay stagnant and in diapers, continuing to soil yourselves because of your hardened hearts and dull ears, is found in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 through 14. This way it's easier coming from the Lord than from me. Concerning Him, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though uh, by this time you ought to be teachers... You have need again for someone to teach you the elementary uh, principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Some of you should be teachers by now. What are you doing? Some of us should be further along. I should be further along. We always, uh, we always have more room to get more ready. Okay? I love you, Mike. It's time to grow up, ladies and gentlemen. Let's get our fork and our steak knives out. I like my steak medium rare. How do you like yours? Let's dig into some meat. Let's chew on some meat. Let's put aside the milk. Look, there's plenty of opportunities here at Waymaker Baptist Church. We have classes for preaching. We have classes for teaching. We have roles to be filled, kids to be watched, tiles to be laid, chairs to be stacked, men and women to disciple you, men and women to disciple. We have an all-night prayer meeting coming up soon. If you're really concerned about your spiritual maturity level, you'll be there. Not like it's going to save you or anything extra like that, but come and see and find out what the Lord will do as we bend our knees and we pray for those hours all throughout the night and we devote ourselves to Him. Are you concerned? If you're really concerned about your spiritual maturity level, you'll go without eating for a day. If you're really concerned about your spiritual maturity level, you will wake up and read your word. We will wake up. I should be saying we. We will wake up and we'll pray. We'll wake up and we'll, we'll seek fellowship. And I say all of this because uh, all of us have some serious maturing to do. Every one of us in here. Nobody's off the hook. None of us have arrived, right? Just because I'm up here doesn't mean I arrived. I'm growing, dude. Rick lets me grow. He watches me fall down. He laughs at me. He don't laugh at me. But he wants to say stuff sometimes. But he lets me go through it. And then he says, see? Watch. Thank you, Lord. Rick hasn't arrived. I haven't arrived. Daryl hasn't arrived. Pete hasn't arrived. We're in desperate need of the source of maturity, Jesus Christ, the true vine. So let's look at John 15, 1 through 8, and I'll get ready to close this. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Amen. 
If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you, because it's God's will. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. How can we ever grow in spiritual maturity if we are separated from the true source, Jesus Christ? Here's the thing. God wants us to produce huge fruit, guys. He has a plan for us as Christians to produce huge, luscious grapes. And on this, think about a vine. A vine. I read this in a book one time. Think about a grapevine. The, the main stock is Jesus Christ. God is the gardener. He is the vine dresser, the one who comes along. And we are just shoots and branches off this vine, and we're producing clusters of grapes. Well, sometimes we're just producing little tiny grapes, grapes that aren't worth nothing. And what's God's intention and God's design for us? To produce huge grapes like that that they brought back from the land of Canaan, uh, Joshua and, and, and Caleb. Huge grapes. How does he do that? How does he get us to produce those huge grapes? Through discipline, through pruning, the vine dresser, God, comes along to the vine, Jesus Christ, and the branches that we are. And he's, he's pruning unnecessary shoots and branches off of us that hinder the sunlight from getting to us and receiving the nourishment that we need to produce more fruit. So things like that job that we're chasing after that money, things in our life like maybe even our old friends or our brothers or our sisters or our moms or our dads, God was faithful to me and he cut them off one by one by one by one. And you know what happened? I finally started to get to the point that I produced some fruit. And you know what he's still doing? He's still pruning away. He's still picking me up and cleaning the mud off of me. He's still, he's still tying a string to me and helping me grow straight. He's still working on me. He's still working on you guys. So I invite you guys tonight, if you've never come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, the gospel message that I presented at the very beginning, if you've never come to know that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, I invite you guys tonight to come. Come and be saved, okay? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for, uh, for this service. We thank you, God, for this congregation and for, uh, for your word, ultimately, Lord. I'm so thankful, God, that, that you got me out of the way. I'm thankful, God... Uh, I'm thankful for my family. Let me say that. I'm thankful for my in-laws uh, and, and this, this work that we're doing here, God, that you would allow us, such sinners, to, to build a church. And, Lord, we pray that the gates of hell would not prevail against this. Lord, we pray that uh, you would use us in a mighty way here in this city. God, I pray that in this congregation, I know in a room this size, there's somebody who's deceived. There's somebody who has fallen away. There's somebody who needs to come to repentance. So, Lord, I pray that you would work in their hearts tonight. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen.